The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Ecclesia, will you join with me and just continue this prayer that we've been singing? Lord God, we do invite you to slow us down. We pray that in this unique hour in the course of our week, different than any other hour that we will spend, that you would clear our minds from the clutter that distracts us. Lord, there are things that are far outside of our control that we worry about and fret about that we could easily focus on in this hour, and God, it won't do us any good. Instead, we choose to trust you. We ask as well, God, that as we open the scriptures that your voice would speak to us. Lord, some through the scripture. I'm blessed that you would speak through me as your messenger in this hour. Lord, that some messages would come from your Holy Spirit in words that weren't even articulated in the sermon or in the scripture, but that you know that we need to hear. God, give our minds clarity. Let our hearts be open. Allow us to feel deeply connected in this hour, both with you and the brothers and sisters that have gathered here with us. We pray all of this together. We pray it in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, God bless you, Ecclesia. It, uh, I'm so happy to see all of you. And to pick up on a message that Sean invited you into last week, if you missed it, I want to encourage you to pick it up uh, in the podcast. He uh, invites you to consider some of the things you'll learn in the desert and beautifully shares uh, some of his story in places of pain uh, that I think you'll be able to relate to. Um, I, Sean speaks to you out of an intentionality. I am... Um, I'm learning that we are in a new season as a church. If you were around in the early days of Ecclesia, some things were pretty predictable. You could show up most weeks and I would be preaching. Um, most of you in those days also had my cell phone number and if you reached out, I almost always responded to you. Um, we are in a different season in our life as a church and one of the gifts in that season uh, is that we have a multiplicity of voices. The sermon Sean shared with you last week is better than any sermon I could have shared with you to invite you into Lent. And now I get to piggyback and pick up on that, and it works beautifully together. Whether Erica is here or somebody else is here, uh, my hope is that you would step in and say, uh, I, I believe that God has given our church many unique gifts. And, uh, and do your best, if you don't see me here on a particular week, to not be angry with me. Is that okay? Could you do me that favor? I got a really angry email from one of your mothers this last week. Um, and she said to me um, that apparently one of you is uh, planning, you're, you've been to church four times this year and you hadn't yet heard me preach. Um, so you're planning on leaving the church to go to another church. And I thought, I definitely won't be preaching at that church. Um, <laughs> So I'm, I don't know what to tell you. Um, I can tell you this, not only do we have a multiplicity of great voices, um, but I have spent 20 years of my life, much of that ecclesia would have four or five services here. And if you can imagine raising kids, we're dealing with this with all of our staff, um, raising kids where most of your weekend is devoted to being in the church building. And uh, you can be a bit of an absentee father at the time that your kids are actually free over the course of the week. And, um, and now we have a new rhythm where each of us preach as well at our Westside campus. And I'm not telling you I like that campus better, but I'm telling you I like their schedule better. They only have two services. 
And so I only preach on Sunday morning, which means on Saturday night, I do normal things like watch Netflix with my wife and kids or take them to a movie. And I will tell you that will make me a healthier pastor and person and preacher. And um, if the old rhythm felt healthy to you, let me just let you know it wasn't totally healthy for me and um, that this new rhythm will be healthier. And so try to tell your mom uh, not to email me and, um, and that it, it will be okay and that God will really do some amazing things. And this season is particularly one that these beautiful voices you're gonna hear from, if you will trust us, that's what I wanna invite you to do, and you'll let us be your guide through this season of Lent, um, I believe God's gonna show up for you and with you in some really unique and beautiful ways. Now, I will tell you that I have learned a lot from observing Lent, but that it is not naturally uh, the thing that I've, I'm just accustomed to do uh, based on my own uh, makeup. If you um, speak Enneagram, and you're going to hear a little bit of it in this sermon today, um, hopefully enough to make you want to figure out what number and personality type you are, we think at Ecclesia that it provides some unique insights into some of our strengths and weaknesses, helps us figure out places that we're healthy and unhealthy. If you speak those numbers, I'm an eight. Eights are people uh, that want to get things done. We tend to fight uh, for the innocent and fight against injustices. Um, we tend to want to take control and make things happen. And often what you'll learn with the Enneagram is that you often will have a similarity with one of the numbers that's close to your number. So I'm an eight and I have a similarity. We call it a wing with people that are sevens. How many of you are sevens in the room? Do we have many sevens? Look at the sevens. You want to be friends with the sevens. Sevens love to party. That's what sevens do. <laughs> sevens are made to party. And so the great part about being an eight with a seven wing is that I literally, I wake up every day and I want to change the world. I just want it to be a party while I change the world. That's how I do it. And so almost everything we do at Ecclesia, you'll be like, Chris is an eight with a seven wing. We go to Mexico City and we want to provide food for the caravan, but we want to do it with churros and a mariachi band because we believe that it's more fun that way and that everything ought to be that way. Um, Lent is one of those seasons that my seven wing does not get super fi fasting, right? <laughs> Nobody ever does that. Things never spoken ever, right? In fact, it's funny to be uh, both an Ecclesian and be in Houston. Because I would suggest to you that in our, in our city, we have people that are experts on Mardi Gras and Fat Tuesday that don't care anything about Lent, right? <laughs> I mean, just think, I crush it at Mardi Gras. I'm not so into the fasting Lenten thing, right? This whole party that was intended to, let's throw one more big party before we have Lent. And, uh, and that's kind of who we are uh, as a city and as a people. I think there are a few other reasons that we pull back from Lent. And I'm hoping I can invite you to cross some barriers with me today. I think one of those is that this is a season of introspection. And um, it's a time that you're invited to look at your own life, your own brokenness, and your own sin. And if you've come from a community, particularly, that doesn't feel safe, Lent seems really intimidating. I, I would suggest to you, Ecclesia, that there are two kinds of communities. There are accusational communities and there are confessional communities. In accusational communities, everybody is an expert on what's wrong with someone else. Anybody grow up in that kind of community? I grew up in a religious community that 
Everybody could tell you about the sins of other people and very rarely spent time looking inward. Here's the gift of Lent. God's only going to speak to you about your sin and brokenness. He's not gonna tell you anything about the sin and the brokenness of people on your row or in your family. He won't speak a word to you about it. All of it will be about how you can look at your life and draw close to God. In accusational communities, people are always pointing the finger. And what happens is there's this sense of fostered shame, and this is what I believe. I believe nobody ever changes. That's a beautiful hum we have going. Does anybody else hear that hum, or is it just me? It's AC. We need AC. Isn't that crazy? It's been cold all week, and then you could wear a T-shirt today. It's a gift. And the sun came out. Seattle's raininess left us. Seattle can keep it. If I wanted to live in Seattle and pay too much for a house and live in the rain all the time, I'd have moved there a long time ago. Um, what was I telling you? <laughs> Accusational communities. This is what happens. You become so um, uptight about other people accusing you of being wrong that you become more rigid and stuck in your ways. And when you live in a confessional community and your hands are open to say, God, how would you speak to me about who I'm made to be? At 16, I got a really unique job. Um, I've told you some about this. It really has shaped who we are as a community. I, I got hired by a friend, my friend Pete. Um, he was in his 50s and uh, Pete uh, was a diabetic who was also an alcoholic and sugar and alcohol had taken his sight, he was blind, and he'd lost one of his legs. And yet he couldn't stop often drinking or I'd find, you know, bags of Reese's peanut butter cups and be like, Pete, why did you, why'd you do it, right? And he just struggled with this sense of control. And in the midst of Pete's recovery, he learned that the only way he could stay sober and on track was pretty much to be at multiple AA meetings every day. And so Pete just started going to AA meetings constantly. And then he learned he couldn't be in enough meetings. So he had this idea that he would start to record some of the popular meetings where people would come and give a talk. And so at 16, my friend Pete hired me to go take a little recording device and go to AA meetings that people would present a talk and I'd get their permission and we'd uh, record the talk. And then we'd duplicate it for other people that were in recovery. And my mind was blown from the first meeting that I went to because I grew up in an accusational community where everybody was an expert on every other person's problem. And I got to an AA meeting where people said, even if you blow it, we love you. And we're going to walk with you. And you know what? You're going to blow it. And it's okay. And I found that it was in that context and in that community that people actually grew. They actually changed. They became different people. And so from that day forward, I thought, I want to be a part of that kind of community. Now, here's the hard part. If you want to live in a confessional family, in a confessional community, that means you have to be willing to accept the people around you as they are. And that's hard, right? To turn to your spouse and say, I'm going to accept you as you are because the fear is they might stay like they are. <laughs> and we tend to think if I say, I'm not really sure I'm going to accept you as you are, that we increase the likelihood that they will change. And it's exactly the opposite. That it's in that community that we become more rigid and we don't change. And so Ecclesia, Lent is an invitation to say, Will you look at yourself? Will you let other people look at themselves? 
If somebody comes to you and they're really concerned about what's wrong with somebody else, will you just tell them, hey, that's none of their business? Or you can ask them, did you see that happen? They go, no. Well, that's gossip. I don't need to hear it. Right? Or they say, yeah, I did see it. And then you say, why are you talking to me? You should be talking to them. Right? But not to me. You know how obsessed we are with gossip when you just go to a grocery store and you check out and you realize we're obsessed with gossip about people we don't even know. Some of these people, I don't even know who they are. But there's all kinds of gossip about it, and people will pay money to read gossip about them. Ecclesia, it's so much better to live in a community that says, I'm going to accept you as you are. You can accept me as I am. And let's all try to grow. And Lent is that kind of journey. Now, let me just give you one caveat, because some of you are sitting here going, yeah, but you don't understand. I really actually do know what's wrong with this person. Right? And I've kind of, I've cracked the code and I've figured it out. And this is what I want to suggest to you. Let's assume you're right and that you are correct. This is really their problem. This is what I've learned as a pastor, is that even when I know exactly what's wrong with somebody else, I don't know the order in which God and the Holy Spirit have orchestrated the way that they're gonna work on those things. So your problem may, need to, may be, one of your problems may be that you need to stop being a jerk. It's just the reality that God's like, they've got 12 other things in front of that thing that I'm working on first with them, right? And I don't know the order, does that make sense? And so when I come to you and, and tell you this is the order, I'm not God, I don't know your order. And that's why it's so much better to be a part of a community where we just go, hey, let's all work on it together, but let's work on our own thing, our own journey, and it will be good. One of the other reasons I think we struggle is that Lent uh, invites us into a time to be alone. And for many of us, being alone uh, is really hard for a number of reasons. One is it forces us to answer some hard questions. So Sean invited you into a few of these and I just wanna remind you of them uh, from last week. These are five of the lies of our identity. Just, just a refresher, because I want you to, uh, to think about these. These lies about who we are, right? And many of us have bought into one or all of these, that I am what I have, right? In our culture, sometimes it's not, it's I am what I drive. What car do you drive? Well, that tells you who you are. It's a lie. That I am what I do, this is a hard one for me. That I am what other people think of me. That I'm nothing more than my worst moment. If you believe that, I just wanna tell you today, that's a lie. You are not defined by your worst moment. And I'm nothing less than my best moment. These are the things that we face in a Lenten season. We say, God, would you actually tell me who I am? He was trying to get a photo. Will you put it back up? I just noticed. Go ahead. No, it's the best note-taking mechanism that exists. Everybody get it? Okay. So when we're invited to be alone, we have to face hard questions like this. And it depends on who you are. Um, but for me, uh, there, every one of us struggles with different parts of being alone. So I'm an introvert. How many of you are introverts? Um, in this room. So we're, we introverts, it's hard for the rest of you to understand, but we actually recharge by being alone. So if you see me out having dinner by myself, I'm happy. <laughs> like if you see me at the movies and you're like, poor sad Pastor Chris, he's at the movies by himself. I'm going to go sit by him. Don't leave me alone. <laughs> leave me alone. I'm so happy to be at the movies by myself. 
I don't want to talk to you. I like you, but I like being at the movies by myself, right? But even those of us that are introverts, there are parts of being alone that can be really hard. Sometimes we struggle to wonder, will the people we need, will they show up when we really need them? Or there are places as we try to engage in Lent, silence and solitude and stillness that can be really hard. So for instance, for me, stillness is really hard. Now some of these may be helpful if you know where you're at on the Enneagram. For eights, nines, and ones, we're people that function in our body, it's really hard. So like I'm totally fine in solitude and silence. I can go to the beach and be alone. I just have to be doing something while I'm on the beach alone. That's my problem. So even walking the dog is not enough. What I've learned when I'm at the beach is I have to walk the dog and decide that I'm the person picking up all the plastic on the beach. And then I feel like I did something. It's like a disease. So to literally go and be still is harder for me. For you, or if you're a five, six, or seven, right? Five, sixes, and sevens, they live in their head. Um, they contemplate. And so silence can be really hard. Shutting down all the noise and the chatter and actually just being silent can be really hard. For twos, threes, and fours, solitude can be really hard because you live in the heart and you, you want to be connected with people, and so solitude can be hard. If you don't know what number you are, you can be like, any of those or all of those can be hard. But Lent is an invitation to engage, and hopefully to engage, even the ones that don't come natural for us. So here, this ecclesia, Lent is beautiful. You got 40 days. 40 is a big number in the scripture. Here's the good news. Those 40 days don't include Sundays. So whatever you want to do during Lent, you can make Sundays a really unique day. But I believe that God seeks to disrupt some things for us in the season in a way that help us see things new. Um, 40 is a big number. Jesus fasted for 40 days. Moses went up on Mount Sinai for, uh, for 40 days. The children of Israel were in the desert for 40 years. Uh, Noah was out for 40 days. It comes up 120 times in the Bible, the number 40. Um, psychology also tells us that if you do something for 40 days, you now have a habit. 40 days equals a habit. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm guessing every one of us needs to break some bad habits and form some new habits. And Lent's an invitation to do just that. In Isaiah, God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah, and, and this is what he says, and this is what I believe Lent could be for you and for me. God's speaking, he says, hey, watch closely. I'm preparing something new. It's happening now, even as I speak, and you're about to see it, I'm preparing a way through the desert. That's what Sean talked to you about last week. 40 days that we would enter into the desert to be disrupted. And as you move through the desert, this is what you're gonna learn. Waters will flow where there had been none. I love what God's saying to the prophet Isaiah, that he's starting something new, because my guess is you're probably like me, and I need something new and fresh in my relationship with God. If there's anybody here who's like, I'm, my relationship with God is constantly new and fresh. Every day it's new and fresh. I don't ever get stuck in a rut, then I would love to meet you. We would hire you. You could write a book for Ecclesians about how to do that. Because I'm just telling you, human nature is, whatever I start to do becomes a rut for me. Anybody else with me? You, you do it and it's good and it seems good, but I get caught in a rut. And what happens is Lent comes along and it disrupts you just enough so that you go, oh wow, God's gonna get me in a new rhythm. So I wanna suggest to you today, you may already have some things you're wanting to do during Lent. There may be things that you want to give up. I want to also suggest some things that you could take on. But I got 10 suggestions for you today. You could do 
all of them, you could do three of them. But I wanna suggest that in this season, these might be some beautiful things for us to do together. Um, as you think about it, I'll also tell you that uh, Lent is a time for me, this is the most painful part of the sermon because I have to be really honest with you. Lent's a season that I have to deal with one of my vices and one of my vices is excess. So the rule of Benedict, which is a great um, uh, guidebook for Christian living says this, it says nothing is so inconsistent with the life of any Christian as overindulgence. Now I hate this quote, I'd like not to think about it, I literally don't have the capacity to eat five chips with queso on it and stop. It's not in my DNA. I don't know how to do it. I only like moderation and excess, right? I, I like everything in excess. I think if it's good, you ought to have more of it, right? But I also have to realize that for me, that can be a problem. It can be a problem for my heart, both spiritually and physically, right? And that... Um, and that moderation and that learning to abstain from things is good for me. So I want to suggest to you 10 things that might be a disruption in a really healthy way. And I just want to ask you to say, would you be open to see if any of these fit for you? I also want to tell you, if you flinch when I say one, that means that's the one you're supposed to do, right? <laughs> or if you're like, I'm so pissed at Chris that he brought that one up, you're in for that one, right? So just know that's how this works. Here's the first one. And this is one, something that I've done uh, for six or seven years during Lent. That you would say over these 40 days, I'm going to eat very simply as the poor would eat. So I wrote a book with a devotional, 40-day devotional, if you want to do something like this, called A Place at the Table, and we've got it here. But this would be an invitation to just eat simply over these days. Um, to eat like the, the child that you might sponsor with an organization like Compassion would eat. It means you can eat as much as you want, but you're gonna to choose to eat something like they would be offered, basically staple foods. That might be rice, beans, chicken, salad, tortillas, something like that. That you'd say every day, I'm gonna wake up and I can eat as much of it as I want, but that's what I'm gonna to have to eat today. And some places you might go to lunch and it might just be a salad with a little chicken. Now, for me, I can tell you why this is important. It's embarrassing to say it, but I'll be honest and tell you, when I wake up in the morning, I wish my first thought was, thank you God for this day and the breath that I have. But my first thought in the morning is, what am I gonna eat today? Almost every day, that's the first thought I have in the morning. And, um, and the challenging part, the beautiful or difficult part is that most days I find a way to get what I wanted to eat that day. If it's barbecue or Tex-Mex or you name it, I find a way to get it. I can work my schedule around it. And that's not always a bad thing, right? I'll eat some meals, and I gotta I got tell you, we had an Ecclesia meeting uh, last week, and for some reason they asked me, Pastor Chris, where do you want to eat for our meeting? And I said, I got a poke place on Bel Air, and it's so good, it's where we're going. Anybody into poke here, any poke? I mean, I'm telling you, I ate this bowl of poke, and it's unbelievable, it had sweet, and spicy, and salty, and savory, and like all of these and then things like kimchi that you're like I don't even know what that is it's just delicious right and it just exploded in my mouth and I'm literally like God is so good that he would make all of these flavors and he would make our tongue in a way that we could experience all the anybody else with me like I could preach a sermon on poke <laughs> now that's a good thing right that we we eat food and we go God must love us so much because he made all of that that can be a really good thing 
But the reality is, if most days in my life I wake up and Chris gets what Chris wants, it's not a great spiritual training ground. And so to have a season where I don't just follow my desire, but I get what I need instead of what I want, that that can be a really good thing. So that might be something to do. Secondly, each and every one of us could do this, by the way, that you would have a time of daily prayer and communion. Maybe for breakfast, you could get up and have bread or toast and juice and just pray a prayer, have a little time of prayer and remind yourself, this is the body of Christ broken for me and this is the blood of Christ shed for me. Or at night, you could just pour a little bit of wine and a little bit of bread and pray and just remind yourself, this is the body of Christ broken for me. This is the blood of Christ shed for me. And I believe that as we move towards Easter, and that's what this is about, is preparing for Easter, that Easter, we believe, is the most important event that happens for Christians. It's the event that changes everything for all people in all times and in all places. And what I want to suggest to you, Ecclesia, is that no one celebrates the biggest event of the year with zero preparation. No one. Anybody have a baby and never read a book? Never go to the doctor? Never take a class? Anybody move into a new house and not do a ton of work to get ready to move and to prepare and if, if Easter is the biggest event of the year, then we prepare for it. Communion would be a great way to do that. Here's a third suggestion, be really simple. If you're a Houstonian, you spend time in the car. What if you were to embrace silence in the car? There's nothing good on political talk radio, we know that. Not much is gonna happen on Houston sports radio in this season, right? And you just abstain from music. And th this is what I want to invite you to do. You get in the car. And when you get in the car, you just say, God, if you have anything you'd like to say to me, I'm here and I'd like to hear it. I just got to tell you, it's a beautiful and a dangerous prayer. Because God will often speak to you. And worst case scenario, I'm hoping you're just in a better place as you drive and that you'll curse at fewer people in Houston traffic. That's at the very worst. Uh, that could happen. This one's a challenging one, but think about it. What if over these 40 days you were to give up shopping? What if you were to say, I'm only going to buy the basic necessity. If you need toilet paper, don't let your kids go without, right? Buy some toilet paper. <laughs> but if it's not a necessity, you'd say, if it's not a necessity, most people in the world can't buy whatever they want whenever they want it. And I'm not going to buy things that I don't need in this season. This is one I would love for everybody to do, so I'm just gonna tip my hand and tell you up front. What if over these 40 days you decided to join me and read the Gospel of John twice and then read a book by C.S. Lewis. You can get it on Amazon, used for a few bucks. It's called Preparing for Easter. And it does just that, prepares you for Easter. If over those 40 days you read, the, and why I say twice is the second time you read the Gospel of John, you're gonna see different things than you did the first time around. And if you've just read the Gospel of John twice and we move into Holy Week and Easter, you're going to experience it with a new depth, I promise you. And this C.S. Lewis book is a fabulous book. Here's another. You could drink only water. That for these 40 days, you could give up coffee and soda and wine. You might use the money that you would have spent on those things to help bring clean water to people that need it. But it would be a gift. Another one I would love for everybody to do. So just think about this one. What if you would choose to join me and delete non-essential apps from your phone? Just for these 40 days. I'm not telling you you have to have a total social media fast or internet fast or totally throw your phone in the trash for 40 days. I'm just telling you, maybe 
<coughs> your phone's been sending you messages like mine has? Anybody else getting these alerts that are telling you how often you're on your phone? Anybody else getting those, right? Anybody else like, who's been stealing my phone and staying on it for hours, right? Because I wouldn't do that. I don't know who this person is. My kids, they're in big trouble. They've been on my phone a lot, right? Um, and I've just realized I've, it's a time suck. And so I just looked at what are the top three or four apps that I'm using on my phone. I've just deleted those during Lent. I did it a little early so I could wean myself off. And what I'm doing is when I go to my phone to look for those apps and I realize they're not there, then I just pause and pray instead. And um, maybe it's one or two or maybe it's 10, but maybe you'd take a look and say, during Lent, that's something I wanna invite you to do. This would be a great one as well. What if you would just take a daily prayer walk? Just a little walk. Just get out. What I do is I've got a little lap that I circle in my neighborhood. And my first lap is confession. I just go, God, where have I missed it? Where have I failed? Will you forgive me? My second lap is Thanksgiving. I just go, hey, God, thanks for this. Thanks for this. Thanks for these people I get to work with. Thanks for these people that I get to live with. Thank you for all of the blessings around me. My third lap, I pray for others, right? So I don't uh, I can't pray for every need at Ecclesia, but I pray for all the pregnant women, right? So I got a list that pops up on my phone. And I pray for every woman that's having a baby. And uh, sometimes the husbands that are trying to figure out how to help care for their wives that are having a baby and, and just say, God, would you be with them? Maybe you just take a few laps and you'd have some different people that you'd pray for and you'd invite a special time uh, with God. Here's another, two more to give you. What if you would give up all fried? I know this is a hard one already. People are like, are tortilla chips really fried or are they just like, <laughs> they're fried. And then you're thinking like, are there good baked tortilla chips? No, there aren't, they're not. You can get more pleasure from cardboard than from baked tortilla chips. So, but if you just say, hey, it's just Lent, it's just 40 days and I'm gonna give up some fried food and maybe some processed food. You can define this a lot of different ways. The way I like to define it is like, if I can look on the ingredients and there are words, I don't know what they are, that it's not something I'm going to eat. But I just say, okay, I don't know what dextromorphin is and it doesn't sound like it would be good for me right now and I'm gonna just put that down, right? And that I would just limit some of what I eat in that way. And here's the last one. One let, I think I want us to all do this one together because I think it would change our city. But what if during this season, Every day you're to give something meaningful to a friend or to a stranger. What if for the next 40 days, you just kept some gifts and some small notes and some of them could go to people you know and some of them could just go to random people that you encounter, right? You're just at the grocery store and you just decide you're gonna turn around and give somebody a gift, right? I mean, literally, you could just go down and buy a gift card that's enough to buy a taco, right? And just find a stranger and I, I like Taco Deli, by the way, if you're thinking about me. <laughs> in the process, right? And you're just right there and you just go, hey, I just wanted to give you a taco. Who doesn't love somebody that just gives a taco a day, right? And just in the name of Jesus during Lent, I, I believe, Ecclesia, uh, most of us as parents have seen this, that when we get in real giving mode, anybody see their kids give a really good gift to people and they're just obsessed. They can't wait to give that gift. They're so excited to give that gift. And I really believe scripture's not exaggerating when it says it's better to give than it is to receive. And that if we're a people that are just focused on giving, we're at our most joyful state. So 10 things that I think we could do. 
Isaiah, in Isaiah, God goes further and describes what a healthy fast would look like. If you were here at Ash Wednesday, we read this, and I just wanna share part of it with you again. This is what God says. He says, no, what I want in a fast, he's already described to him, these ritualistic fasts, these things you pup yourself up, you make yourself look good, I'm not into those. He says, what I want in a fast is this, that you would liberate those tied down and held back by injustice to lighten the load of those heavily burdened, to free the oppressed and to shatter every type of oppression. God says a fast for me involves sharing your food with people who have none. You have plenty of opportunity to do that, Ecclesia. Giving those who are homeless a space in your own home. Giving clothes to those who need them and not neglecting your own family. And this is what I love. He says, when you do this, He says, then, oh then, your light will break out like the warm golden rays of a rising sun. In an instant, you will be healed. Can you imagine this, Ecclesia? God says, you've got something you're struggling with. Maybe you're depressed. Maybe you're fighting anxiety. I don't know what it is that you're fighting, but God says all of a sudden you start to fast and share abundantly and you're the one that's healed. I really believe this is who we're made to be. So he says, in an instant, you will be healed. Your rightness will proceed and protect you. The glory of the eternal will follow and defend you. Now, I don't know about you, but I read that and I think I want to observe a beautiful fast. Paul speaks of it this way to the church in Corinth. He's talking to them about a church that was in need. Literally, they were good Christians. They were part of the church, but the economy was hit so hard in this place that people didn't have food to eat. And so Paul said to the church in Corinth, he said, listen, it's been a year since we called your attention to this opportunity to demonstrate God's grace. He said, you pulled an offering together, but we never quite finished it. People are still struggling. He says, so here's my advice. Pull together your resources and finish what you started. Remember how excited you were at first? It's time to complete this task in the same spirit. Now, if there is a willingness to help, I love Paul's realism here. It's so simple and beautiful. He says, this is what I want you to do. Just give within your means. That's perfectly acceptable. He says, no one expects you to go without or to borrow to give. He says the objective is not to go under so that others will have some relief. The objective is to use this opportunity today to supply their needs out of your abundance. Now, hear this ecclesia. I think the worst thing you could probably be called in our culture, maybe there are worse, but one of the worst is, a, is, worst is a hoarder, right? Anybody agree? Just to be somebody that's hoarding things. Now, most of us have defined that based on these crazy extreme TV shows, right? <laughs> With people that literally have things stacked to the walls. And what I want to suggest to you is when you think about abundance, that you would think about the simplicity in which most of the world lives. So for us, abundance would be, do you have things of value that would be a blessing to others that you don't use, see, or touch? Like that's abundance, right? That's more than we need. Paul says, if you have more than you need, would you give from that abundance? Now, I would just suggest to you that all of us have some abundance and that that abundance can be the key 
to beautiful things for others, and it can also be the thing that holds us back. So Paul explains, right? He says, one day, it may be the other way around, and they will need to supply your needs from what they have. Now this is what Christianity is all about, right? Is that sometimes we're the one who gives. The, the logo for Ecclesia is this open hand, and we've said from the beginning, it's because we believe real Christians both give and receive. There's not much I liked about Hurricane Harvey, I'll be honest with you. I didn't like it, I didn't enjoy it, it was painful. But one of the blessings was that we got to, we're often the people giving and we got to be the people receiving. You know, we had churches, very poor churches in Latin America and in Africa that gathered offerings for us during Harvey. Churches that we have helped in the past and when we went through a hard time, they found great joy in gathering together an offering and sharing it with us. And we got to be on the receiving end of so much of that. And I think, Ecclesia, that's what real Christianity looks like. That we say, we're ready to share now. And Paul says, next time we may be the ones receiving. And it flows both ways. And it's this reminder that God will provide. And that's what he explains here. He says, one day it may be the other around and they will need to supply your needs from what they have. That's equality. He explains, as it is written, and that means in the Old Testament, the one who gathered plenty didn't have more than he needed and the one who gathered little didn't have less. You remember this story? He's talking about the story of God's children in the desert. And in the desert, right, these were people that were workaholics. Workaholics is a bad way to say it. They were slaves. They made bricks. They thought they were brick makers. And God took them on a journey to try to tell them they were sons and daughters, but it was a hard lesson to learn when you've been a brick maker and a slave. And he brought them out of the desert and they would constantly encounter things that they needed and didn't have and God would provide them. One of those was food. You remember what he did, right? He rained down food from the sky. Now that's, that's an unusual way for it to happen, right? And, and this food that he rained down from the sky uh, it's the, I think it's the funniest word in uh, all of the Hebrew Bible. They call it manna, right? which literally means, anybody remember? What is this, right? In Spanish, KSSO. Every day they get up, KSSO, what is this? <laughs> it was this thing. They didn't have a category for it. They were like, it's this food. It's like a bread with an olive oil inside of it, right? It's like going to the restaurant and you don't have to dip your bread in the olive oil. It was literally like a hot pocket with olive oil in the middle, right? With no microwave, but it was still, it had this unique thing that they were like, what is this and where did it come from? And every day God said, get enough just for that day. He gave them clear instructions. Part of the struggle in the desert was they didn't like to listen to instructions. Here's the bad news, neither do you, neither do I. And he said, just get enough this much every day. And when they took too much, it didn't go well for them. The day before the Sabbath, they would get a little bit more. And every day they would have enough. Ecclesia, we're a people that have loved to hoard for tomorrow, but there is a beautiful gift and opportunity to say, I'm gonna trust God for tomorrow. I'm gonna get enough for today. This opportunity to fast is a chance to hear from God in a new way. I wanna invite you as we come to communion to say, God, what is it that you would have me do? And is it possible that by the time I get to Easter, that I might look back and read this passage in Isaiah where he talks about something new happening, fresh water coming into the desert, and 
living with this reality that I'm in a new place in my relationship with you. My love and trust in you is stronger than ever before. These places that I've held on to pain and sorrow and anxiety, I, I let them go because I learned to trust in you. Ecclesia, I love you. That's what I would love for you to experience. That's what I long to experience this Lent. Would you give me a moment just to pray for you and with you as we come to this table? And God, I pray for my brothers and sisters that whatever it is that you would lead them to do, whether, whether they're to focus on drinking water, whether they're to take some beautiful prayer walks in the evening, or whatever it is that you would guide them toward, that this would be a sacred season. God, we thank you that each one of us are your sons and daughters, and every one of us is prone to believe these lies of identity, that we are what we have, that we are what we do, that we're defined by our best or our worst moments. And Lord, instead, we come to you in this season and he said, Lord, will you tell us who we really are? What does it mean to be your son? What does it mean to be your daughter? What does it mean to live in a relationship where you accept us just as who we are and that we get to function in confessional communities where we get to confess our own failures and we're not worried about everybody else and what they think of our failures. Instead, God, we seek your approval and we know we have it. We seek your love and we're grateful that we have it. And we seek your forgiveness for the times and the places where we have failed and we will fail. And so, God, it's in this place that we come to this table. We break this bread and we're reminded that your story is a story of love and grace. You tell us that you came into the world not to condemn it. And instead, Lord, you came to lift us up, to show us grace and forgiveness. And we pray today that you would bless this bread as we're reminded of your love and grace. God, we thank you for this cup, for this wine and juice that says that forgiveness is real, that you've offered it to us and that you call us to offer it to others. May we live in families and communities where we can learn to accept one another as we are and along the way trust that you are forming us and shaping us to be the people that you long for us to be. God, as we come to this table, we pray that this would be so. We pray it together in your name. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.